Who would say a gloat fest? I wouldn't say oh. a gloat fest. Today's podcast? No. Definitely not a gloat fest. No, that would be wrong. And here it is. ZITO.com is the one and only Selena Zito. Welcome to the uh, program, Selena. How are you? Good morning, Spencer. <laughs> you uh, looks like you uh, <laughs> called it again. <laughs> well, I think the the thing is, is if you're trying to understand an election and you're trying to understand a sort of sentiments and how uh, and how granular um, voting can be and personal for 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 people is to literally go to them and listen to them Mm -hmm. listen to what they're talking about they may not always tell you who they're voting for but they will tell you what issues are important to them and if you understand human behavior you can start to understand that when something is changing so it was a very good night uh last night for anyone other than progressive socialists, um, right. even in even in San Francisco and Seattle, uh, the socialists did poorly. Uh, and then there yeah. were th- then there were things <clears throat> like <clears throat> the the truck driver who had just had enough in New Jersey spent less than two hundred dollars on his campaign. And looks like he just beat the state Senate president, a Democrat. I I mean, that's fantastic. What a great story. His name is Edward Durr. Yeah, absolutely. Look, if you strike a chord with voters, if you understand what their concerns are, if you are as deeply rooted to the community as they are, you are going to capture their uh, um, their imagination. In people that are successful in governing are people that are aspirational, people who are able to make um, people believe they are part of something bigger than themselves. And that, if you listen to Glenn Youngkin, if you listen to Jason Mayares, and if you listen to the House of Delegate candidates that were conservatives, they all had that message in various different ways. They understood the people and what the people wanted and what the people were longing for. And and that is that is what I wrote about in, in my book, The Great Revolt. I, I looked at these sort of different um, coalition or, or, or different archetypes of voters who really didn't have a lot in common um, except their rootedness to community and their sort of um, unhappiness with our cultural curators um, who run our businesses, our sports entities, our institutions, academia, and Hollywood. And and that that sense of not being respected by those institutions is what drew them together. That aspiration was incredibly important in this election. And and I think that the Democrats really failed because they don't know how to run unless Trump is on the ticket. It was never about Donald Trump. Uh, voters, whether you loved him or liked him or hated him, 
he was they have moved on. Voters don't act in the way um, of looking through the rearview mirror. They're always forward looking, especially in local elections, because the, the roads, the bridges, the education, taxation, inflation uh, and economic development are constantly on their minds. And that's sort of what people miss. And I, I want to also point out to your listeners one of the other, two of the other sort of interesting races for Democrats was the uh, race for mayor of Buffalo. Were you mm-hmm. familiar with that? Yes, yes. Uh, and the and the referendum on policing mm-hmm. in in Minneapolis. All these strident uh, or woke sort of um, platforms and and positions failed miserably. Because people want police to protect them. They don't want a socialist to uh, to uh, run their city because mayors are supposed to be good managers. They're not supposed to be ideologues. And 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 so, you know, and, and Democrats and the media really failed to grasp um, what voters were so displeased with. And, and they focus too much on Trump and they focus too much on on every time someone said something they didn't like, th- that person was a racist. I mean, people just get tired of that. So the is this a rejection? I mean, I, I'm 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 trying to put together all of the the pieces. And I think there's lots of reasons. And you've named most of them. Um but there is a there is this feeling that the left is elitist. They have their own language. And most of the times they're talking, you know, it's Latinx. It's Latinx. Nobody says Latinx except oh, I mean, I how you say that. I didn't even know how you said it. I just looked at it and was like, I don't know what that word is. Yeah, it's Latinx. <laughs> Uh, and, and which I think is so New Jersey. It doesn't it sound like Tony Soprano. Hey, I got a Latinx over here, you know. Um, but uh, you know they have their own language, and I think it is off-putting to a lot of people. They they just feel this elitism coming at, at them. Uh, is it is it this plus the agenda that we've seen in Washington? You know, plus the economy. What is the what does it say? Let's start here. What does it say about Joe Biden? Anything here? Yes. Here's the if you want one word to describe this election cycle, I would use the word overreach. And and it is an overreach on policy. It's an overreach on elitism. It's an overreach in believing that you were sent to Washington um, and with a mandate. And you certainly weren't because you barely won. You don't have a majority in the Senate and you barely have a majority in the House. Everything is about overreach. Same, and I would add on overreach on COVID, overreach on mandates, yes. overreach on on everything yeah it's overreach that is the best word and voters always want to either put the brakes on that or correct it if they're putting the brakes on it then you will only see it in a handful of elections because democrats will then get the message but if they want to correct it that means you have new people in the conservative coalition i would argue that is the direction that this is going because of the influx 
of blue collar uh, voters into the conservative movement. Yes. Um, that aren't just white. They're black. They're Hispanic. They're Asian. I mean, they they, they lost a in- lot of their black and Hispanic vote in Virginia. I mean, that should be Absolutely. very concerning to the Democrats. But, you know, I have been punishing myself all morning and listening and watching on social media, but also on MSNBC and CNN, watching the reaction and their their belief as to what went wrong. And I'm just, I shouldn't be stunned, but I'm stunned oh, I, it, that they think, that, it, yeah, they think, well, if only we would have passed $3 trillion. I'm like, no, no voter wanted that. Voters wanted a regular sort of in good infrastructure bill that, that, that keeps the roads, roads and bridges um, and creates more broadband. That's what voters want. And also to keep their water clean. They do not want social engineering and, 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 and environmental justice and criminal justice and free everything. Voters never voted for that. Okay, so you're a, you're, you're a student of, of history enough to be able to, I think, answer this uh, with some backing. Uh, in, in 1919, this is the mood. What we're feeling right now, I think, is yeah. the mood that was happening in 1919. Wilson went crazy and overreach yeah. like crazy. But what he did is when people started rejecting him, he said, I got to go out on the road. I've got to. They're just too stupid to get it. I haven't made enough speeches for them to get it. I think that's what they're going to do uh, this time around, which led to 10 years of the Republicans and the progressives being banished until they cloaked themselves again uh, and and shuffled things up. It, are are they going to go stronger? Are they going to cloak themselves? What do you think's coming? They're too arrogant to cloak themselves. Yeah, I think so they too. do not believe that they are at fault for this happening. They do believe the voters are stupid. Uh, the same voters that they praised in 2020 have now become the the the, the voters of stupid, and that's sort of uh, the big um, hurdle that they uh, they have shown no. Um, willingness to try to tackle. So they're just going to double down. They're going to go out and scold voters about not knowing, not understanding, not uh, um, believing that they know better and they're going to fix their lives. People don't want their lives fixed. They want to be able to achieve whatever they want to achieve on their own. They want that sense of earning the next step, earning the next um, um, milestone that they are able to achieve. And even they also want to learn how to fail. You know, that's an innate thing in, in, in the American DNA that the Democrats have been trying to squash for the past 12 years. So here's what's frightening about all of this. They become more and more arrogant and they are so <laughs> self-isolated that they convince each other that they are right and that everybody else is stupid. And this is a group of people where you've got the president saying, my patience is wearing thin. This is a group of people that will begin to really punish, not just scold, but to find ways to really punish people. Yeah, well, in in that effort, they are going to lose constituencies that they never should lose, you know, on paper. Uh, People are not, you know, I, I... 
I called this cycle way back in January, two days after uh, um, uh, Biden was sworn in and just started eliminating people's jobs on the pipeline. I said, there is going to be a great awakening. Here's what people missed in 2020. While everyone focused on the Democrats' wins, slim as they were, they missed the red wave that had already started down ballot. People just in Pennsylvania alone rejected wokeness in, in, and, and Republicans won in state Senate seats in places that have been reliably, reliably Democrat for decades. And no one paid attention to those results. But I understood that this sort of great awakening was already in flux. It was it, it started to sort of poke up during the um, during the first few days after the inauguration. But I will tell you the most pivotal thing that happened um, for Democrats. And, and I don't think people understand this is how uh, is Afghanistan. And we talked about yeah. this yesterday that that changed that everything. Negligence, that negligence. And that is the key word that negligence. Is, is what made people stop and say, wait, what? This is not what I bought into. I did want us to be out of Afghanistan. However, I did not want it at the, at the, at the cost of people's lives. I did not want it at the cost of, of our reputation. And, 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 uh, and, and people saw through the lies and are still continuing to yeah. see through the lies on this issue. All right. I've, I've only got 30 seconds. Is the, are these two bills waiting in Congress? Are they going to be jammed through? Or do you see the the sane Democrats say, I'm no way, no way am I getting on board with that? See, I have always thought that this second bill wasn't going to pass. Um, and I, I still think that it's not going to. I think the infrastructure, the bipartisan infrastructure bill does pass. And I think that's the end of that. Hmm. That is that's huge. That is huge. Uh, Selena, thank you so much for talking to us. You, you can follow her writing. She is really good. She's great with historic perspective as well. If you're not familiar with her, selenazito.com, selenazito.com. Thanks, Selena. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Before we go and introduce you to uh, Jim Lentz, I want to get a quick update uh, from Stu on, and again, hey, they fought a good battle. Let's not. Go. Hey, we're all in this together, guys. We're in this together. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So here are uh, some of the results from last night. So Glenn Youngkin is the big news. He wins in Virginia in what would have been just a month ago, a shocking upset. It's yeah. important to say because we got to that point in the last week before the election where we thought he might win, that this is a, a devastating defeat. For yeah, turning many, off, and it couldn't happen to a better. It guy. really couldn't. And uh, I will tell you, I have lots to say on this. I think just the Terry McAuliffe loss uh, tells us many things that we need to know. I'll cover that coming up next hour. Basically, progressives lost almost everywhere, including in Buffalo, where they a socialist Democrat lost to to a write-in candidate. Yeah, uh, who was just a normal crazy Democrat. Uh, the only real victory for de- uh, pro- real hardcore progressivism around the country was in uh, Boston. Boston. The mayor in Boston, who's Elizabeth Warren clone, uh, she wins there. Uh, the, but they they were falling apart. Conservative, I, mean, I can't say conservative. Um, people who are more normal 
and more conservative, if you can use that word, in San Francisco were winning. Yeah. Uh, last night. I mean, it's it's the Seattle, the Seattle, the school yeah. board in San Francisco uh, flipped away from these people who were saying we're going to rename George Washington High School. Yep. Um, uh, it's big, 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 big. A couple more big school board victories in Texas as well. Um, one other uh, interesting uh, situation was in New York, not really covered too much, but there's three ballot initiatives, all of them sort of trying to open up elections like, you know, same day registration and things like that. All of them failed and failed badly in New York, which is remarkable. And then the other big race that everyone's watching right now is New Jersey. Uh, it's very, very close as we speak. Um, the governor race there, Biden won New Jersey by 16 points. Currently, it's 49.66% to 49.60%. Murphy, the Democrat, is leading at this point. Uh, you know, as someone who goes through all this stuff all the time, the the votes that are outstanding are largely in blue, ca- blue counties. And I would expect... Uh, Murphy to hold on to this, though it's going to be very, very close. Which is not a done deal yet. An earthquake. Even the fact that it was close is almost more impressive than what happened in Virginia. So the economy, schools, the culture, um, what's happening in Washington D.C., the 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 wild unpopularity for uh, Joe Biden, all played a role. But one of the big things that everyone was talking about across the country as they were coming out of the uh, polls was the economy and the supply chain is really hard to understand i was having a dinner with a friend jim lentz he is um he he's been the head of you were the head of toyota for how long uh sales side about six years and about seven years ceo for north america okay so mm-hmm. he was the ceo for toyota uh, motor corporation of north america and the chief operating officer of the parent company in japan um he is he, he was he was there for all of the big things including the move from california to texas plano texas uh and also you were there for the big earthquake yes um in japan which i i think would play a little bit of a role that you could learn from now on supply chain issues Oh, very much so very yeah. much so okay so can you explain the supply chain to the audience like you did to me uh, when I asked you, I said, so uh, what, what is happening with supply chain? Sure. So the biggest thing to understand is supply chain is a system. And there are a lot of different components to it. And it really starts with forecasting and ordering what you think. So as, as a manufacturer, I have to forecast what my future needs of automobiles will be. I place that manufacturing order. And let's say something that's being produced overseas. It gets produced. It gets shipped. It gets processed at the port. It then gets transported, whether it gets trucked to the ultimate uh, place of sale or a warehouse, mm-hmm. or it gets moved into a rail yard and then it gets railed, uh, and eventually it gets sold. So the challenge is when the supply chain breaks down, uh, all of that has to operate in sync. If you concentrate as we are today on just the port operations, you're just going to move that supply chain problem further down the road because let's just and i'm sure it doesn't work this way but let's just say you have shipment of a whole bunch of steering wheels coming in well what are you going to do with all the steering wheels because you're missing the chips because the chips aren't in you need all of them to come in in an ordered way right? right right and can you explain how sophisticated the supply chain is for fact for factories like toyota yeah 
Well, you know, so literally the, the Japanese kind of invented just in time. And just in time means when I build a vehicle in my plant, literally the part that goes on that truck may only arrive hours before production. In fact, our, our plant here in Texas that builds the Tundra, uh, we actually have suppliers on site, the seat supplier. So they will build their seats in the same sequence that I build my vehicle. So that seat literally arrives maybe 20 minutes before it needs to, to be able to go down that line. And I think the biggest thing as a result of all this, lean manufacturing was created to take waste out of the system. So you didn't have to warehouse 30 and 60 days worth of parts. Because when, when you were at Ford, this is many years ago, almost 40 years ago, when you were at Ford, you, you told me that there were times when you ran out of the right color seats, but that was just it. That's right. You put in whatever you had at the end of the year. So, so you know, the world's gotten away from that. But the big question that, that COVID in this supply chain crisis has created is can lean manufacturing as we know it today, just in time, literally hours before it's needed, is that the best way to go? Or are we going to need to go backwards a little bit, create more warehousing so we don't have these big glitches? It's going to be interesting to see how this gets fixed because there's, there's an old adage in the car business, and that is when things were going wrong, you'd say the bull is in the ditch. And the big question is not how the bull got there, not whose fault it was, not how you're going to keep him out of the ditch in the future. The question is, how do you get him out of the ditch today? So today, we need to be concentrating our efforts on the supply chain in these ports and how can we get these ports cleared as quickly as possible? So I've talked to the head of the truckers, uh, independent truckers. They say there's not a shortage of trucks. There's a shortage of place to put stuff. Uh, and they say the trucks, the reason why they have problems with truckers is sometimes these truckers will wait eight hours mm -hmm. at a port and they're not getting paid for that. They're not getting paid to wait. So. Right. What is the problem? How, if you were president, how would you be fixing this? Uh, I would go to somewhere like Wharton and get a systems expert on logistics to go down to the port and observe exactly what's happening. Where, where are the bottlenecks? Is the bottleneck trucks coming into the port? Is the bottleneck trucks going out of the port? Is the bottleneck how many, how many cranes we have to move it? Uh, I mean, there are so many issues. And, and if you look at Long Beach as an example, um, they've been processing roughly 18,000 containers a day. Jeez. There are 29,000 containers a day arriving. Oh, my gosh. And, and, you know, as I started to research this for your show today, you can go back to March and there was a huge backlog in March. So this didn't just take place last month. Mm. This has been going on for some time. There and nobody did anything. No, and there, there are, there are 540,000 containers sitting on ships waiting to be processed. Oh, my gosh. So, so and only 18,000 being processed. Be. So, so if, if you look at those numbers, you've got to increase your, your throughput by 60% just to keep up with what's coming, not even to cut into the backlog of what you have there. So the, the only way to tackle this is to look at the entire system. How can we improve the efficiency every step along the way? Because if, if for example, I find a way to work 24-7, 
at every term terminal and I start putting out all these containers well your next problem is going to be at the railhead you're right. not going to have you're not going to have enough trains to move the merchandise and then if you fix that problem then where are you going to put all this stuff you're not going to have the warehouse space if you go into Walmart today and there's something that's not in stock and you say well do you have it in the back room there isn't a back room right so so this that's why like our supermarkets are are restocked like what is it like something created like 18 times a day yeah because it's just in time right yeah. they they predict when they're going to be mm-hmm. out of these products yeah i mean it happens at our plants i mean literally at one end of the plant we'll have parts arrive and literally within hours it is taken from there and it's put on the assembly line uh, rarely do parts sit for a very long period of time well that seems like an impossible problem to fix because you have to fix it from both ends yeah and a lot of the stuff in these five hundred and forty thousand containers are not going to be used right away it right 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 which is going to cause a problem if they are parts used to complete whatever it might be a, a, a television an automobile a piece of furniture it creates that problem as well and and understand too in china today their main port they have problems with electricity they have a problem with manpower and they're likely running short on cargo containers because nothing is coming back to them right right so at some point in time you're going to have this glut sitting over there ready to come back and this armada is going to keep on coming until this system gets fixed now the the big challenge is um the port infrastructure needs to be improved in the case of long beach i don't think there's much more land to deal with right so until you can improve the efficiency and that's that takes someone to sit down and actually observe what happens at at toyota as an example we have a department that works in our plants just on efficiency and they'll sit and they'll observe what's going on on an assembly line to figure out where are we wasting time? How can, how can we change something to improve the safety or improve the efficiency of what we do? And it may just be something that saves two or three seconds, but it makes a huge difference over time. That same type of thought process has to go into fixing a complex problem so was this doomed to fail from the beginning i mean uh, should we be looking for the short term to get us back to this kind of a system it seems to me one of the things we learned was there are some things like chips and medicine that maybe we should make here Mm -hmm. in america uh, for just for our our own strategic, you know, uh, defense reasons. Right. Um, but does this system go back to the way it was? Well, I think the difficulty is if, if you look at California, the ports in Long Beach, I believe they were up 25 or 30 percent even last year. And this year they're up another 20 or 30 percent. And if you're landlocked and that much throughput is increasing, it was it was inevitable that you were going to have challenges unless you changed how you operated. Um, you know, the, the difficulty with just moving chips to the U.S. as an example, there are roughly 50 chip manufacturers in the world. Um, 50% of all the chips come out of Taiwan. 90, I need you to listen to this. 50% of all chips come out of Taiwan. Uh, roughly 90% of all the really high-tech, sophisticated chips come out of Taiwan. 
Um, most all the chips come out of somewhere in Asia. If it's not Taiwan, it's it's Japan, it's Vietnam. It's, it's China it's number places. two, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think if you add t- Taiwan and China together, they are by far the largest. So if Taiwan falls to China, they have a gun to our head uh, to, to the globe. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. And, and the difficulty is it takes a long time to build one of these plants, and they're very capital intensive. You know, a, a new chip plant today is 15 to $20 billion to build. So you can't exactly change that overnight. So um, we're going to continue our conversation here in, in uh, just a second. I, this is what, when you think about Build Back Better, which is just a slogan to change the financial uh Uh, strategy of our system this is the kind of stuff that we should be talking about can we get relief to help build chip manufacturing plants here in america can we can we redesign our ports instead they're going they're going to green energy and all of this this garbage that is not going to help us out in the future to remain uh ahead of the rest of the world or at least even competitive with the rest of the world You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Now, today uh, is a day that I didn't I didn't know that it would come this this soon. And I while I don't want to gloat, I do. I do want to dance. Everybody dance. <laughs> okay, that was childish. Um, that was the example of, of what not what to, not do, to today. do. Not to do. You shouldn't Just, do that at your workplace. If somebody comes in and they're a little bit down today and they're like, gee, it looks like the progressive socialists got their ass handed to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The last thing you need to do is say, everybody dance. <laughs> that would be wrong. No, you shouldn't do that. You should not do that. The last thing you should do. Thank you. Stuart. You shouldn't bring that song with you on your phone. No. In fact, let me just give you a clear cut of it. Go ahead. Everybody dance. <laughs> Not that, whoops! Not that that should be your ringtone today. <laughs> oh, you know that would be bad. That would be terrible. Terrible. You would terrible. be a bad person if you did something like that <sighs> too many times. <laughs> more in than more than ten. More Within, than ten. No more than ten in, in an hour. Okay, so so the signal from San Francisco is pretty strong. Public You're talking about the scent of the streets, like they're just the, no, the no, public no, defecation. No, the, the, signal, pro- the signal sent. Got it. Okay. okay. Yeah, 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 Got yeah. Uh, public safety, public education. Voters in San Francisco said yesterday, yeah, uh, why don't you just pick up the garbage? Uh, why don't you just get people to stop crapping on the streets and uh, stop trying to rename all of the uh you know george washington and abraham lincoln schools mm-hmm. we're pretty cool with that um that is that is astounding astounding 
to happen in San Francisco. But uh, it looks like, I mean, could we just play Kamala Harris? This is one, two, three, four. Cut four, please. Because you see, what happens in Virginia will in large part determine Mm -hmm. what happens in 2022, 2024, and on. Everybody (laughs) (laughs) She's right, though. Sucks. See, people say we can't be bipartisan. We are bipartisan. We agree with her analysis on that point. 100% agree. 100% (laughs) agree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that's the problem, but will they learn that lesson? No. And to that, I say, everybody because <laughs> you just, I mean, <laughs> it's one of those days. It is one of those days. The only thing I, setting it aside from mm-hmm. a perfect, wonderful day is what's happening in New Jersey, yeah. which is incredibly good news for Republicans overall. Yeah, and and quite honestly, to even be close in New Jersey, to it, be close yeah. is astounding. The best poll in New Jersey for Chitterelli, who's the Republican there, was a four-point defeat. And it's I don't think it's going to be that high. I think he, he looks like he is going to wind up losing in a very close election just because the, the vote that is hanging around is from Democratic uh, districts. Um, but I will say this. What's interesting, too, when you look at uh, on the other side of this in Virginia, the news of, gov- of the governor uh, situation and down the ticket is pretty good. But the, the House of uh, Delegates, um, which is a fascinating uh, race, much more fascinating than the title house of delegates would uh, indicate because house of delegates (laughs) i mean if that was a a show on pbs the house of delegates i would immediately (laughs) (laughs) so there's a few different crazy ones there first of all there's this guy um uh his last name's it's chris hurst did i tell you the story this is a crazy one no go ahead so chris hurst you don't know who he is of course but he you know something about him you know about the absolute worst moment of his life. Okay. Okay. So in 2015, remember this, you'll remember this story. Um, a video comes out of a female reporter doing a live hit on the air. And she's interviewing someone from the Chamber of Commerce locally. And in the middle of the interview, a gunman comes out and kills her in the middle of the interview. Do oh you remember gosh. this story? No. You don't remember the story? We talked about it at the time. The video was everywhere. Uh, she was legitimately doing a local news report. Gunman comes out, kills her on the cam- on camera, kills the um, cameraman as well. The the woman who she was interviewing got away. Um, that woman, the reporter who was killed, was the fiance of this guy, Chris Hurst, who, mm. after this incident, wound up running for the House of Delegates. He wins a close election, wins another close election. He's running again. The night before the election, uh, he is uh, pulled over. Uh, and apparently... Hold on just a second. Hold on just a second. <laughs> I was promised... I was promised here the, uh, you know, the House of Delegates or whatever that sounded. Yeah. Welcome to the House of Delegates. 
Um, nobody, nothing exciting like this happens in the no. House of Delegates. All they do is talk about quorum calls. Right. right? That's what happens in the House <laughs> of Delegates. That's right. That's right. No. And somebody is uh, like a really bad maid. Yes. To yes. somebody else. That's, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so um, this guy gets pulled over. Pulled, pulled over uh, the night before the election. Um, police talk to him. So it's unclear exactly what happened, but either him or possibly the woman who was in his car, uh, they catch them because they were vandalizing signs for his opponent. So the night before the election, I guess they're just out tearing down signs for their opponent in the race. Long story on that part short, he winds up losing uh, in the House of Delegates. This brings it to a 50-50 split. So Republicans might have a, you know, they're going to have a split control of this house however in the overnight how many times have you heard this story in the overnight new votes were found <laughs> all the time all the time yeah all uh, new votes were found new votes were counted and the the uh, outcome changed in favor of the republicans Shut and up. now republicans look like they'll have 52 seats not to in two different seats they're going to wind up getting a last minute win it looks like and it looks like now Republicans will get control of the House of Delegates in Virginia, which nobody thought was possible coming into last night. So, really, I mean, it's hard to limit how good the news was last night. Everybody dance! Wait a minute, but it was supposed to be boring. Okay, all right, here's how we do it. Mm-hmm. Here's how we do it. Um, you know, the, uh, the House of Delegates, uh, there was somebody... Somebody that was not driving a Bentley came up on a bicycle and he was riding and there was a sign there in the large lawn and he looked at it and said, this shan't stand. And votes were found in the basement by the butler. Mm. And then that, and then just like a long musical interlude out. Oh, sorry. On this week's House of Delegates, brought to you in part by the Ford Foundation. <laughs> and that's where they spend most of their money. Most of their money. Is on most shows like the House yeah, of Delegates. Yeah, that and uh, like really creepy eugenic stuff. Yeah, sure. But, but the House of Delegates is the main part <laughs> of the, the organization. Main, not the actual House of Delegates, mm-hmm. but the, the show, House the show. of Delegates. Tuesday nights. So on really PBS. the only thing holding uh, uh holding back the ultimate party today is this new jersey thing which looks like it's you know this is like one of those situations where you're like a small college you have no chance to win beat the big sec team you're playing and somehow you've got the ball on the one yard line with eight seconds left in the game and you can't quite punch it across like they're going to wind up losing a very close race you know and once again it is a sign mcauliffe losing is a sign that hillary clinton and the clinton's power is over way over absolutely way over their influence is done they mcauliffe is essentially a clinton that's how close he is to that that legacy and again and he might actually be a clinton yeah, it's Bill very, might have had sex with somebody, <laughs> you know. I don't know. On the next episode, <laughs> <laughs> on the next episode of the House of Delegates, Bill Clinton has sex with a downstairs maid. Will that be Terry McCullough? Find out 
in the next episode of <laughs> on PBS. It's hard to promote that show because how do you yeah. spell it? You know, delegates. No, the last episode of. <laughs> <laughs> it's just difficult to. So his so the Clintons are absolutely over now, which is which is another reason everybody. <laughs> I mean, it's another reason for that. It's another reason for that. And I think that Bill Clinton, I mean, uh, uh, Barack Obama also, I mean, he went out and he politicked hard, but his message was, this is all bullcrap. This is all made up stuff. These white people are afraid of black people and nobody's buying that. Nobody's buying that anymore. Yeah, you know, I think that's a real miscalculation by the left, and I, I, I hope they continue to make it. Oh, I do too. Because it is just, it's so insulting. You know, and I think there's an interesting thing here, Glenn, between Virginia and New Jersey. We talked about Virginia a lot in the lead up, and obviously education was one of the most important things. But education isn't just CRT and gender, right? It's also teachers unions telling your kids they're not allowed to go to school correct it's the mask it's also a mask it's mask mandates it's now relations yeah now it's your 5 to 11 year old having to get vaccinated vaccine mandates and passports and all that stuff so all that stuff is is out there um and i think like when you look at the new jersey situation which looks like it will move more to the right in pure points than even virginia did i mean there was a it's a bluer state and you look at that, and there was not, CRT was not a big part of that election. You know, uh, the gender stuff was not a big part of that election. The COVID stuff was a big part of that election. You know, you look at Murphy has the single highest or second highest. Um, he's even has a worse death rate in the, in the state than Andrew Cuomo, which is saying something. Mm. Um, and, you know, then you add on all of the businesses that were closed down. They didn't want kids going to school. He's one of the worst with the mandates in the nation. All of this uh, came and, and hit New Jersey business owners and, you know, regular citizens in the face over and over and over and over and over again. And, you know, that's that might be a bigger factor. I think, too, a, a big part of this is just how bad joe biden is yeah it's not you know th- there is a but it's national also, there aspect are some here. there are some like i i think um i think winsome sears could be a superstar mm. she could be a now this she's is got a the, great story i don't know that much about her but yeah i don't story. either but she's got a great great story and, and she's cool pictures of her yeah right with yeah. the gun <laughs> just, yeah very yeah. cool <laughs> uh so she is the new lieutenant governor uh in virginia she is also the first woman of color in the office of the Commonwealth's 400-year legislative history. Okay, and she took on um, she took on CRT, and mm-hmm. she was very very clear. Look, we should learn good and bad about American history. Yeah. Yep. One hundred percent. But we, uh, what did? How did she say it? Something along the lines of, um, but if you are coming in to a class. And you're trying to make one kid feel guilty for history and they're white, black, doesn't matter. That's not sustainable. That's not a good plan. So teach history as it actually happened. Leave all the rest of it out. Yeah. And, how, and, and what was amazing, I was watching a little CNN last night, so you don't have to. And <laughs> you were the one. And, it was your night. It was my night. Over and over and over again. 
they made the point that this was just, you know, look, Youngkin, um, he just was using racist dog whistles. Uh, he just, you know, like when he was trying to ban these books, they just happened to be with black authors. That absolutely. This is this is crazy. This is crazy. Um, and, you know, this is a guy who's lieutenant governor, who's going all around the state was 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 the was, was Sears, who is black, the first black uh, right. woman to have statewide office. His attorney general uh, that he was running with is Hispanic. All around the country, honestly, the only person who made sense, and I then, and I know he took Van some Jones. heat as well. What well, you're, you, Van freaking Jones? I know. I saw. Who it. said mo, he got in trouble for some of the stuff he said last night? But he said over and over again. He said this this idea that we can win elections, meaning Democrats can win elections by just saying we're not Trump, is dead tonight. It's over. Mm-hmm. And he said over and over again that Democrats come off as offensive. To regular people, they come off as annoying mm-hmm. to regular people, and he's completely right. And elitist. And elitist. I mean, I think there's something to be said. When you are using the word Latinx in your... Is it Latinx or Latinx? You said Latinx. I think it could be both. Is that... I think it's Latinx. It could be Latinx. Latinx seems even worse somehow. Oh, it, it, it I, is. So I've heard them say with. Latinx. I've heard them say Latinx. I've heard them say Latinx as well. Now, Latinx just sounds like Malcolm X. Yeah, it's to me. It's which bad is, either way. I don't. But I mean, I prefer my preferred pronoun here is Latinx. Latinx is better. It seems yeah. more demeaning to Democrats, and yes. it's more absurd considering yes. Hispanics don't want you to say it. They don't want to say no Latinx, Latinx. No. They don't want to say any of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the point. When you have these, I think they are dog whistles for white elitists. When you say things that the average person is not saying, that's a dog whistle. I'm better than you. And people are not going to have any more of it. I hope. I hope. All right. Now, let's see the Republicans and what they do when they actually get into office. Please do something. Na, 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 na. 